With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The price is wrong, bitch. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on Halloween and the scariest thing out there besides 85 degrees and 400% humidity is that there's no more Philadelphia Union soccer. So it's really not soccer in Philadelphia. No, it's still... It's all all over. It's still soccer in Philadelphia, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. So we're going to talk about soccer anyway. We're going to put a bow on the season. I'm Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. That's Rush Joy, uh, also from Crossing Broad. Russ, welcome back to the program. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Did you dress your kids up for All All Hallows Eve? Sure did. They were uh, they were two amazing little dinosaurs, and uh, they got the oohs and the ahs of the uh, the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, they even sweet talked their way at four and two years old into uh, getting a lady who was giving out full-size candy bars and giving them two each. So uh, raising the future business leaders of America. That's right, the FBLA, which I was not a member of uh, in high school because I dropped calculus and I wasn't into that kind of stuff. And I wanted mm. to be a writer and make wow. a lot of money doing it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, dressed up, I, I dressed up my daughter as a chubby unicorn. I know that on this show we don't uh, we don't talk about the media as much mm-hmm. as we do on some of the other shows. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, are you, are you gonna just on on principle? Are you gonna quit crossing broad because you're not allowed to write about the union uh, every ten minutes? Or oh uh, yeah, a deadspin no? a deadspin reference. Huh? We can uh, yeah, let's put let's put that on the rundown. Maybe we can do a little bit of deadspin talk at the end of the uh, at the end of the program. How about that? You down with that? Hey, you know what? It's your show. I'm okay. just here for the ride. Well, let's, well, you know, like we say, this is a serious podcast. Um, we like to stick to soccer, you know. Um, do you have any exercises planned? Love we'll doing exercises do a, on the program. Yeah, we'll probably do an exercise. I'd love to do an exercise on the program. But you know what? Actually, if you could describe um, the Philadelphia Union's performance in Atlanta uh, as a Halloween costume, what would you say it is? Oh, um, I would say that it's it's a mummy costume where you ran out of toilet paper because that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. because the ideas there, the resources that you have at your disposal are probably about what you would have expected. But ultimately, you come up a bit short because you don't have the most important resource. And everybody knows that the, the key to a really good mummy costume is to have your your lead striker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, a, that's actually really good. Um, that's a really good uh, answer from you. I, I honestly, you know what? I uh, I don't think they played that bad. I, I really don't think they played that bad. It just, you know, offensively, there just was not, um, 
there just wasn't much going forward, you know. I mean, when you think about the fact that Atlanta played Saturday and played 90 minutes, the Union played uh, – they did play 90 minutes, right? Yeah, they played 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Union played 120 minutes a day after. And then they had to travel on the road. You know, it's like a full 24 hours plus the recovery factor and, and the flight and whatnot, you know. So, I mean, it was kind of behind the eight ball to begin with. Um, you know, Shabilko is, is not available. Um, but honestly, I thought – let's just start actually by going through some of the game notes, some of the stuff I wrote down here. I, I, I thought that 4-4-2 made the right sense uh, or mm-hmm. made sense. It was the right call. Um, you know, they played 4-2-3-1 against Atlanta when they beat them at home but i think the personnel situation being what it is um and thinking that atlanta you know once you knew that atlanta was playing a, once once they got a win that they were playing a four-man back line i think playing four four two against it made sense and uh you know i was arguing with somebody i was ar- arguing with r max on twitter sorry man i don't i don't know your first name um i'll just call you r max because that's what your twitter thing is but he and i were arguing because i said i would start vooting and he was saying, why, why wouldn't you start Pico? Pico's the better player. And, and, and he is. He's been the better player. But I think my argument was that I would rather kind of have like 55 to 60 minutes of Vooten and then bring Pico off the bench because I feel like Pico's a lot better in the 4-2-3-1. When you're making that inevitable switch to 4-2-3-1, he's playing a winger, and he's coming off the bench, he's running at tired defenders. That was kind of how I rationalized that. And so Jim decided to start the Fafa. Fafa was okay. I mean, he was pretty good. Um yeah, but then when you do that, obviously the only, you know, Vooten isn't doing anything for you off the bench, right? So you really only have Fabian and Elsino kind of as your danger guys off the bench since Fafa's starting. So, um, but I don't know. I mean, considering the circumstances, I was fine with what, what Jim did. Were you? No. Um, and and I think you guys both missed the mark. So I, I think that the four four two is fine, conceptually, like if you wanted to, to roll with it in Atlanta. But I, I don't understand. I, I know that Marco Fabian has been... Um, garbage would be going a little bit too far, but he has been underwhelming to say the least. He's had injury concerns and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this show together. Um, I, but I, I still would have gone with Fabian up top with, uh, with Sergio Santos, because I thought that the, the idea was there. You saw it in their first playoff game. The idea of having Fafa come in, say like the 60th, 65th minute, and after Santos's run at that back line nonstop for the first 60, you bring in Fafa, who just eventually, after these backs are worn down enough, mm-hmm. he's going to be able to create some dangerous chances. And to me, like I, I haven't really questioned all that much with Jim's tactics, but I didn't like this move because to me, Fabian, for as much of a mess as he can be, and he, he can't play that, that number 10 role um, for this team, and I think that was shown time and time again. I think Fabian is a guy that could have been, you know, kind of like a withdrawn striker who just ends up being a guy who who mm-hmm. pounds the ball from outside the 18 and gives you a legitimate shot uh, every time. Like, I would have rather go with that, try to roll with that for 55, 60 minutes, and if it doesn't work, then you yank him. If Sergio Santos, you know, runs out of gas, which really is what happened in that game, uh, happens and you replace speed with speed and you bring in Fafa. So let him play I thought, up, let him play up top and then you go like yeah. Elsino on the on the and wing I, with the I, Yeah and I, I just thought that, that was that to me was like the kind of miscalculation you can't have happen. And like 
I thought the thing that a lot of people were going to have the question about after like going into that game is if Jim doesn't roll out Fabian in any kind of meaningful minutes, is it going to be a, a matter of you wondering what if? And yeah. Fabian, Fabian by no means deserved to be a starter on a playoff team. But that said, like he was your big money guy. And what he brought, I thought, to the team when he came in was kind of like that that distance bomber. Like, you know that there are so many guys on this team that can't connect or, or really strike through the ball from distance. He's but one just of the having, few guys but, that create but he's, kind of something out of nothing. You exactly. Know? And yeah. so, like, that that was an element that they missed. And so with Shabilko out, I thought they needed to try to change what they were doing up top. And I thought Fabian gave them something that was different enough. And then you could kind of make do if, if he ran out of gas or if Santos ran out of gas. You had Pico. And then, yeah, you had Wooten as well. I, I didn't like the the tactics. I don't I didn't like the lineup that Jim rolled out, but I you know, that's what happens when your leading scorer is out with is out. an injury. It shouldn't have come down to that, you know, honestly. And and they did pretty good with injuries. They were pretty lucky with injuries all year. They're pretty fortunate, you know, nothing that really killed them until they until they got to the playoffs, you know. So it's kind of a shame that it that that's how it ended. But uh you know, it was interesting to me because obviously, you know, when they when they played four two three one against Atlanta the last time Atlanta was playing a three man back line and the union just kinda of sat on the wing backs, you know, and they did they didn't allow the wing backs to build up. Uh, you know, and they were forcing narrow passes, linear passes, you know, guys like uh, you know, Martinez with their backs turned, Remedy with their backs turned, so they were pressing them there. The union only really only really had two or three super dangerous turnover chances in this game, uh, where they were able to just kinda of like you know, pounce on them and and, do, and play that midfield trap that they were playing the last time. Because when you have a four man back line, you know, obviously you're not, you know, the, the there's the fullback and the and the center back channel is just spaced differently. So you know, you're not really sitting on wing backs that are pushed higher up the field. You would have had to play a really really high line to kind of press the way that you wanted to press against a four man back line. But yeah, I don't know. I just. Um, I mean, Santos. Santos had a game where I think he was kind of like in the middle of the season where he he did like one good thing, and then but then he was just he had the great pass to Aronson was his one good thing uh, yep. on the on the on the ball that Guzan saved. But you know, he we just got that Sergio Santos who was just like trying too hard. Um, you know, he was pressing. He looked a little frustrated, committing a couple of fouls. Um, I mean, you know, I after 120 minutes or whatever he played. Um, you know, the other day, it just, you know, ask him to shift from turf from 120 minutes on grass to 90 minutes on turf. It's like, it just, it just, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised by the, by his performance, I should say. No. And it's the thing, here's the other thing, I guess, to kind of keep in mind is like, not only were the union playing on a shorter schedule and having had played 120 minutes in the game prior, but like, I thought one of the things that, that they've gotten a lot of credit for is their sports science and their recovery. Yeah. Like that was the thing that, you know, this team has been able to make the most out of. And, you know, it, it was it was just kind of like the the perfect storm of things kind of going wrong. And it wasn't really anything on the team specifically. It's just kind of a culmination of things. And it's just all these things kind of going wrong at the same time. Like, no matter how good your sports science department is, like, it's still going to be hard to get those guys turned around that quickly and, and go down to a, a pretty mm-hmm. hostile place. Yeah. And I don't mean to hijack because I don't know the next spot you wanted to go to. But like, I think this is kind of why the union faltering down the stretch in the regular season is like something that, that still does need to be talked about because, you know, if, if you go and, and get a result in Columbus, if, if you, if you don't kind of choke down the stretch, you know, NYCFC loses, you're hosting this know, game against Atlanta. You're, 
And then you're hosting, hosting the, the Eastern Conference Final. Final. And so and you would have been hosting the, you would have been hosting MLS Cup final too, because you would have had a point against Seattle. And so it's like you know, because they jumped about, they jumped you at the last minute, yeah. And so it's just like think about if you adjust if if and I, I don't want to put this all on like the Tanawald story about Jay Sugarman not not fronting for the charter flights. Mm-hmm. But like seriously, if he like let's say that that there's anything to be said for the commercial flight versus the charter flight and these guys not being able to get adequate rest, which yeah, is like yeah. the big story now in sports, right? The big NBA story came out to Tobias Harris, like the whole the whole thing about like how sleep deprivation is is a major concern. Oh, I did see that, yeah. If yeah. if you like if if in any way these players as part of like the postseason kind of recap with the front office and with the coaching staff, if like Ali Bedoya is outspoken to the club about, you know, you guys really dropped the ball on this. We didn't feel like we were physically up to par because, you know, we're we're out screwing around with commercial flights. If we had had this chartered flight, it changes our schedule. It allows us to recover better. I mean, you pick up an extra point. What was it? An extra point? Extra two points like two down point, the stretch? Two points they needed would have, would have changed everything. You know? That's yeah. the difference between yeah. having to go down to a hostile Atlanta United without Shabilko versus hosting yeah. potentially MLS Cup final. Like that, like, when when we say that a result in the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, end mm-hmm. of the season, mm-hmm. you know, they, they all matter. And this well, is and why. Well, and if you think about it too, another wrinkle is that if they had gotten the second seed and they were playing New England, in the two seven, and you had Atlanta playing Red Bull. Say it was like Atlanta Red Bull in the three six. The Atlanta Red Bull game would have been the more desirable TV game. So maybe that game would have been the afternoon, the three o'clock Sunday game, yeah. and the Union might have got to play on Saturday instead. You know, if you think about it. So you might, like I said, it was like a double whammy with Atlanta because they were playing at home and they got the extra twenty four hours of rest. You know, with the minus thirty minutes on the on on uh, of of game time too. So yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's like. That's that's why it's a good point you make with the charter flights and stuff like that because even if you, even if you look at like the charter flights and you're thinking well you know if we spend you know an extra fifty thousand I'm just gonna pick an arbitrary number right fifty thousand dollars you know uh, but that only helps us you know helps our chance to win the game by like three percent you know like yeah. say they have like some calculation maybe they maybe they agree that charter flights are the right thing to do and that it helps but they just don't fi- think there's enough value relative to the to the cost you know what I mean so yep but if that extra th- three percent is the difference when you're talking about a margin of two points getting you home field for the first two games and then what would have been the third game as well uh, you know it's it it's again it goes back to that thing where it's like man they, they they probably could have done more to help themselves you know um and that's what's dis- that's yeah i mean when you look back on it and you're thinking like how how small the margins are especially for a team that you know, historically has not performed that well, or has not been in this position. I just, it just goes back to me saying to Jay Sugarman, look, do whatever, do whatever you can to, uh, to help it out, you know? Um, yep. Okay. Let me just go through a couple other notes I, I wrote down here. Um, Bedoya looked tired. I, I wonder if the leg was bothering him. He wasn't really getting up on the right side there. They weren't doing much to target Mikey Ambrose, who had barely played at all that year. You know, I felt like they could have went after him a little bit more on the right side and they didn't get up there. Um, Ray Gaddis, I don't know how he plays with his shirt tucked in. It drives me crazy. Brian Carroll too. I would pull my I would pull my shirt out <laughs> there, as soon as the referee. There are a lot of turned. things about Ray Gaddis that don't make sense. Well, we can get to that um, when we go over the stay or go. We're going to do a stay or go kind of thing a little bit later. Um, okay, so two uh, la la la. la. 
Okay, so there's two two sequences that I wrote down here. Okay, so the goal, the first goal, Andre Blake, stay, uh, stay at home or come for the ball. These are tough for me because I'm not a goalkeeper. Like, <clears throat> I feel like I can speak pretty adequately about every other position on the field, but goalkeeping technique is not something that I'm strong with. I think when you go back and look at that play, um, I kind of blame Kai Wagner on that for getting sucked in. And, of course, Harris Madunian's turn style and he probably could have done better on that too but I guess what Andre was was thinking was like and I didn't read any of his quotes if he had any quotes after the game but I think he was probably thinking at the time shit these guys got sucked in Uh, this guy could take a touch and fire on me so maybe he just thought he could come out and reach it try to close the angle and try to just snuff it out but I mean, I don't know. I think you could probably just come out, take a few steps, kind of narrow the angle because he was off to the right side of the of the um, of the the arc anyway. And I don't know if he how much of an angle he had, um, but I don't know. It just seemed one like one of those kind of like uh, bang bang plays where the goalkeeper just like shit. I got to come for this, and he goes. But I don't know, man. What do you think? I don't know, man. Uh, it was just kind of a tweener, uh, like a tweener kind of play, wasn't it? Yeah, and and I think you know with with Blake, like the the idea of closing out on that, like what's the the number one thing that they tell a goalie if you're going to come out on it? It's either you're all in or you get big. <laughs> you got to know you're and yeah. and he was and and to me he was just kind of like in between. I think he, my guess is that he thought he was going to be able to close it out faster, and then got caught in a position where yeah he he didn't think that getting big was going to help because I think he had already kind of committed to going down. He thought maybe um, he could get there and he could just he could slide and just kind of get get yep. to the ball before Gressel did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so he just kind of ended up in this weird in between because you know. He's he's sound enough fundamentally this entire postseason run uh, nonwithstanding, where for him to come out in that in that way and and to look as caught off guard as he did, I think just kind of speaks to like either he was overthinking it because he had had such a a real poor run of of uh, mm-hmm. you know cluster bleeps yeah um, but to me that looked like a guy who was caught in between in in his thought process and. And I think that's why you didn't see him kind of make like the the fundamental get big moment there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so it it, it kind of is what it is, you know. It's weird, but when it you're was a, it was like what the the fifth major mistake, sixth major mistake of the that season. Blake made this postseason. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always weird when you're a fullback and you're trying to defend that because you know it, a, a lot of times like those guys will kind of weasel their way into the little space behind the behind the center back but in front of the fullback and so sometimes the fullbacks cheat down to try to like overcompensate for a center back not turning around but I watched the play a couple of times and Mark McKenzie had had the guy that was with him I don't know if it was Martinez or somebody else so in that case uh, you know Wagner shouldn't have to be responsible for the another guy coming through with a defensive midfielder should pick him up but I think you have to like KYP you know you have to know your personnel and that's mm-hmm. that's the not just the opponent, but it's your own players too. Like you got to like, one of the first things you do when you, when you play at any level is you, you look at the guys on your team, you play with them a little bit. Okay. You say, okay, I know this guy's not so good at this. Or I know this guy's really good at this. You have to know your own personnel as well. And if you know that Harris Madunian is just not really going to track through, then maybe you cheat up a little bit and maybe you try not to get sucked in, but <clears throat> I don't know. It's hard for me to fault Blake too much on that. I would like to have a goalkeeping expert on the, on the program sometime to talk about that. Maybe we can, but the other, um, the other thing to me that I don't think got a lot of talk was, uh, the Ilsenio penalty shout. Yeah. Where he kind of dragged it through. Uh, was it Pogba Pogba? I think it was, it was yeah. Pogba. Um, Pogba. you know, and, um, <sighs> I think the problem with that is that people always, people assume 
that just because you uh, the ball is two or three yards past a guy that you're not going to get there, which is not true at all. Because if you're playing that swim move or that sort of like skin, like skim move where you play the ball through a guy or around a guy, you're facing towards the ball and your momentum is coming with the ball. The defender's facing out. Like for him to turn, pivot, replant and go where the ball's going, you're going to get there faster than he is. So that's a misconception that just because there's separation and the defender is between the ball and the man that it's not a penalty. No, it's absolutely a penalty because Ilsenio was moving downhill, albeit just sort of starting the play, and he was going to get there because the guy was turned around. So mm-hmm. I just don't know why VAR disappeared completely in the in the playoffs. Like it just – I don't I, – I went back – over the game and watched it again, there was sort of just like cruising Twitter and looking at reading some recaps and stuff like that. And there just wasn't like, did you feel like that, that play just kind of fell by the wayside? Yeah. And, and you know what, when you think of, I, I guess VAR ends up being like the thing just generally that I think this postseason also kind of, I don't, I don't want to say it like poured cold water on it, but the whole point of VAR is to take out any of the, the subjectivity of, of what's going Or is it ob- objectivity? I was confused, the two. No, you're, t- um, you're taking a, the, the subjectivity. You want it to yeah, be objective. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you know, you're taking the subjectivity out of it. But the problem is it, it feels like so often the, the refs don't want to have to go to VAR. And even though a lot of these things are supposed to be automatically reviewed and then sent down to them, like I'm even thinking about the the first game they had against Red Bull, mm-hmm. there was uh, Jim had, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was that game, Jim had Andre hold on to the ball for a while before he uh, did a goal kick because the second the ball was played live again, mm-hmm. it was going to eliminate the possibility of them going back and looking, I think, at, at what, what they thought was a handball. Yeah. And it's like, you think about it, I think maybe that ends up being one of the things is like, I don't want to see challenge flags in MLS. But I, I do think that at some <laughs> yeah. point, you should, as a as a coach, you should be able to challenge something specific. Like if if you have the ability, if if your if your other coaches, if there's somebody in the organization who's watching from the box that has access to the replays, says, "Look, there was there was definitely a reason to stop play to look at a handball." Then, like maybe that's where this has to go. And the idea of leaving that up to somebody sitting in a control room somewhere else. That to me is an issue because the the game has to continue on, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I just think like VAR, I think is a good thing, but I don't think it's executed the way that that would make it the the most beneficial to the game. So and so it, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, all right, so let's wrap. So that's it for Atlanta. Um, let's do let's do a little. Um, Let's do a little stay or go exercise here. You know, we were going to record the other day. We ended up pushing it back to today, and it made sense because uh, Ernst and Jim did their season-ending press conference uh, today. I wrote down. Uh, I was sitting here like eating lunch early, and I wrote down Ernst notes, uh, and I underlined it, and then I wrote nothing down uh, because they didn't. They didn't really say anything. It was just kind of like a wrap on the season. They didn't like make any announcements with. Um, player personnel or anything like that. They brought in a new goalkeeping coach, I guess was the biggest thing, and Oka Nikoloff is going to go to like uh, be an assistant now, so whatever. Mm-hmm. But he, here, here's the um, – they sent out the email of, of the players and the contract situations, which I appreciate. They didn't. They did not used to do this. So the players on guaranteed contracts next year, Brendan Aronson, Ali Bedoya, Andre Blake, uh, Jack Elliott, uh, Matt Fries, uh, Ray Gaddis, Casper Shabilko. 
uh, Sergio Santos, Cole Turner, Kai Wagner, Andrew Vooten, and uh, oh, the other homegrown kid that they signed too. Um, out of contract is Aurelian Collin, Ilsenio, Harris Madunian, Jamiro Montero, Fafa Pico. Uh, the options that, that are available, and this isn't really stip- it's it's not. Um, I guess they're all team options. I don't think they have player options in MLS, but it's R.J. Allen. Joe Bendick, Corey Burke, Warren Carval, Marco Fabian, Fabinho, Anthony Fontana, Mbizo, Mark McKenzie, uh, Galena, Matt Real, and Austin Trusty. So, um, all right, let's start with this. I'm going to read you the out-of-contract guys, and you tell me if you'd bring these guys back, all right? Sure. Aurelian Collin. Nope. El Senior. <laughs> yeah, but it... It depends on a lot of other things. What? what I know that like people. Things? I think people like really. I think people would like make that an automatic yes. But I think you 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 need to have enough. And I think this will get to a lot of the other guys. But like, you need to have enough top end attacking talent where Ilsenio doesn't need to be much more than a fun gadget play. He was not as effective at the end of the year as he was early in the year. He wasn't because everybody knew what he was going to do. Yeah, and that yeah. that to me, he's like Darren Sproles now, not. Not so much that he's like an older player who's gonna like break down on you, but like could give you that X factor. It's just like yeah, you, that's you a good kinda comparison. you kinda you you know how to game plan for him. You know there's that's a and good like comparison. He, he can still you know that you know like with both of those guys, there's some there's something there. There's still something there. Yep. But could could the roster spot be better you better used on something else? Yeah. That that's kinda where I'm at. Yeah. Um sorry if I stole your thunder there. No, that's okay. Um, Harris Madunian. I like Harris, but like, so again, so much of this depends on the other guys around him. I think what he's able to do if you have a solid enough back line or you have somebody playing alongside him in a defensive midfield position mm-hmm. that can kind of make up for some of those deficiencies, then it's fine um, because of the, the kind of looks that he can give you. Um, like his, his field vision and, and his ability to connect the different thirds of the pitch and, and yeah. get things yeah. set up on, on like some kind of overload. Like it's nice. He can find a nice long ball. Like he, he has the ability to, to make passes that practically no one else on the team when can. he's at but the like, top of his game, man, it's fun to watch, you know? Yeah. But it, when he's not, he's a, he's a real, he's a massive, yeah. he's a, he's a massive liability. Well, and they said, one of the things that Ernst said was that we gave up too many goals this year. We can't give up that many goals um, next year. And it was, God, how many did they give up? They gave up like f- uh, 50 or something like that. Let's see how fast my uh, internet can load here. Philadelphia Union, yeah, 50 goals against. But here's the thing, yeah. though. Like, you know, if Warren Craval plays that position, do they give up less goals? Probably. But, like, but then you if don't the have, idea you don't now, have any if, possession if, either, you know? And there you go. And yeah. so, like, I think that's that's the counter to all of this is if if the thought is that Harris is going to inherently cost you goals, you can't then try to replace him with a with a Creval or like a Brian Carroll-esque kind of player because now you're effectively just playing like a fifth defender out there. And you, you need to either yeah. get somebody who's more of like the Ali Bedoya kind of set where it's, you know, he has the ability to get up and attack, but he's also responsible enough to drop back. I don't know. He Like, I, I would like to have Harris, but I, I think I'd almost rather have Harris almost as like a gadget, almost like Ilsenio. Mm. And I don't think he wants to play that role here. And I think he would end up costing them too much. And I, I don't really think that that's his, you know, like that's something that the team would really want to have either. Did you like my uh, Granite Xhaka take? 
if I told you I didn't see it. Oh, um, so he walked off the field uh, with Arsenal like a couple days ago, like uh, telling the fans to fuck off or something like that. Like he was. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, uh, well, he's can't, you know, no way he's coming back to Arsenal. When, like, they'll probably like get rid of him or, or or whatever. His days are numbered at Arsenal, right? Um, I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, his skill set's kind of really, really similar to Harris Madunian. You know, he's left left footed, a great passer of the ball. He's slow as shit. Um, doesn't play a lick of defense. Um, he's actually kind of like a perfect replacement for him. But you know, I mean, of course, mm-hmm. he's, he would cost like. Forty bazillion dollars, and at age twenty-seven or twenty-eight or whatever it is, he would. He, of course, he's probably not coming over to MLS. But I was kind of like half joking with that, but half not, because I'm like, well, it does. It does kind of make a lot of sense if they want to do that. I, I don't, you know. Again, like those like deep lying playmakers are hard to find, dude. You know, like I, he's he's Medunian is a unique player. I mean, if you're gonna play diamond, you look at other players in the league who have played it over the years, and you think like. Kyle Beckerman, you know, he was a lot more of a defensive-minded guy, but he could pass the hell out of the ball, too. So, um, I, don't I want really the Xhaka thing to... Like, you know what? I, I support the uh, Granite Xhaka move. Yeah. Because I can I can now hear a Sons of Ben chant. Granite Xhaka, Granite Xhaka, score a goal. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Granite Xhaka. Um, <laughs> Jameer Montero's loan expired. Tanner said it's like... I mean, he basically said that he's not coming back. He gone. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, Pico is out of contract. You bring him back. I honestly think that you can get somebody who gives you what Pico does uh, and and might actually grow into... Yeah. I have to yeah. think that there's somebody in the academy. There has to be somebody in the academy who is fleet of foot, is decent enough in possession... And blows a bunch and of might give you, chances. And, and <laughs> I was going to say, it might actually you know, be able to finish. Although in fairness, I crapped on Fafa all year and his, uh, Fafa yeah, and his, un- his inability to, uh, to finish, but he had a great goal he, in the playoff he, game. Um, he sure did. So yeah. I, I said at that time, I take back every, every awful thing I've ever said about Fafa. And you know what, to look, to be fair to Fafa, like he could probably do better on another team, you know, a team that's going to play four, two, three, one, a team that's going to start with wingers. You know, I mean, if the union are going to be a four, four, two team again next year and only kind of go to four, two, three, one situationally or use it sparingly, maybe in like half the games or 40% of the games or something like that, then there's no, there's no real reason for him to come back anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, that's like a left-handed reliever signing for the Phillies when they already have like four left-handed relievers. You know what I mean? So it's not even necessarily like an indictment of that pitcher himself. It's just kind of like, well, it's, it's you know, does it make, does that make sense? You know, um, so mm-hmm. in Fafa's case, no. And plus, because you already got, you already got Sergio Santos, Andrew Vooten, and Shabilko under contract. You know, and if yeah. you know, if Corey Burke, depending on what the Corey Burke situation is with him, you know, that would be four. So I mean, if if you if you brought him back, if you, if you, if you play four four two next year and you come back with Shabilko, Santos, Vooten, and Corey Burke, I mean you're set, right? Yep. Uh, you know, so Pico, then whatever. You know, um, you'd go get another shuttler to replace Montero. Um, let's go through the options. I'll just read them real quick again. You tell me if you would pick up any of these guys' options: R.J. Allen, Joe Bendick, Corey Burke, Warren Craval, Marco Fabian, Fabinho, Fontana, Mbizo, McKenzie, Galena, Real. Trusty. I mean, you're obviously picking up. You're picking up McKenzie and Trusty. Uh, yeah, and I would I would think about Real as well. Real and, um, Fon- Real and Fontana and then Bizo. I th- yeah. think they still think is the future. Well, here's the thing about Mbizo though. 
and I'm not saying I wouldn't pick up the option. It's just, uh, man, the whole the whole idea of getting rid of King and Rosenberry was because he had him by Yeah, and he didn't. He played like how many games this year? Like two. This is like, well, this isn't a great comparison, but this is kind of like when the Flyers anointed uh, Phil Myers as as a guy who was going to be like one of their defensemen, and then he ends up getting himself sent down. Now, granted, he just called called up today, but um. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like Embizo was supposed to be the future of that position, and then there was nothing. I mean, at no point did it ever feel like Embizo was going to factor into making it any kind of a competition at right back. Ray yeah, Gaddis yeah. got himself firmly entrenched in that position. He's going on. It. He's got a guaranteed contract next year, Ray, and it'll be his ninth year with the team. And I hear people talking about Ray Gaddis for the Ring of Honor, and it's like. You know, I, I, to be fair to Ray, like he was great in the playoffs. I mean, he was he was really really good in the playoffs. I know he had the pass in the in the Atlanta game where he turned it over and they came back and scored. But McKenzie, this is the second goal I'm talking about. McKenzie should have read that all the way. There's no way he should let that get over yeah. his head. And uh, Gaddis is just out there trying to make something happen, pushing when they're down. So I don't really fault him for that. I thought Ray was really good, but for the majority of the year, like you just you could, the hardest thing I think in sports is to say, hey, we're, we're this position's not bad. You know, it's not a problem. But to take the next level and say, but we can do better there. You know, you can you can Im- you can yeah. improve that position. You know, Ray Gaddis is a solid player. Okay, but I think we all agree that you can do you can do better than that at that position. You know, you would certainly hope so. Yeah, you know, it's just you would think so. Yeah. It's I, to me, it's like the same thing as Fafa. Like, please, if you have spent as much or as many resources into your academy over the last X amount of years as, as you say you have, somebody has got to be able to play a similar game to Ray Gaddis coming out of that academy. Yeah. If, if you have steel and you've kept guys there because you wanted them to develop, somebody has to be able to give you what Ray Gaddis can and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it's like, look, Ray Gaddis to come in and, and, you know, he probably could go somewhere else and play a bigger role. But like if the idea of having Ray Gaddis is so that you have a reliable guy who can play at, at either outside back position and he comes in occasionally spot starts and is a bench guy, then like, cool, you know, you could do a whole lot worse. Yeah. I mean, but, but to like come into a season kind of relying on, on him to fill that role, like that's not something I'd be comfortable with doing. Yeah. Listen, uh, like with all due respect, because <clears throat> Ray's a fantastic dude. Worked really hard for this club. Um, always been great with the media and the fans and whatnot. I mean, really, he's the perfect ambassador for the club. But uh, the honest truth is that Ray Gaddis belongs nowhere near the Ring of Honor. No, you know, he I doesn't. mean, what, what? Because you played like 200 games here and you played a ton of minutes m- more than anything because the union just couldn't find a fucking left back. You know, and to his credit, he developed, he turned himself into into a nice, like, defensive, you know, sort of possession, sit back and cover for Harris Madunian type of fullback. But eight seasons where he's had nothing to do except play soccer and he still can't serve a ball into into the the box and he doesn't get forward. It's like, if I, Russ, Uh. if, if, if you, again, I like, I, you could say this about any player, not, not just about Ray, right? But plug in any player who's been kind of the same player from the beginning, right? Um, are you the same teacher that you were eight years ago? No. Am I the same? Uh, do I have the same like writing style and you know experience on the on the Sixers beat and the Union beat as I had eight years ago? 
No, mm-hmm. and I feel like I, I've, I'd find it unfathomable how his offensive game has not evolved one iota in that time. Then I think the question that would be fair to ask is, how much of an emphasis have Jim Curtin and the coaching staff and, and Ernst and formerly Ernie, how much of an emphasis have those guys put on him being able to add those levels to his Obviously game? Obviously not a lot. You know, because well, Jim will, and so Jim then, will sit that, there and so say, then, like, so is that is that on him then, or is that on the organization as a whole? It's it's, it's like I mean, it's it, it's got to be shared blame, you know. I I mean I I guess to some extent it does, but it's not it's not the Ben Simmons jump shot thing, but like if, <laughs> not, if you have not long like, enough, but, but like, but it's similar. Yeah, but it's like no, seriously. If, let me if ask you. Let me, if if you if go let ahead. me ask you a question: Is Ben Simmons? in 2019 any different of a player than he was in 2017 sure you think he's different now he hit a he hit a three against the chinese team come on now <laughs> vastly I, improved you know no he's like i mean yeah well he has to be better because he's played in the nba he's he's been an all-star in the nba he's found success against the, yeah. the top competition in the yes, world yes but i mean for the most part like his his skill set and the but things his, he's his, doing his skill set he, he's yeah. i guess the point i would say I, the thing the thing i'm trying to say with Ben Simmons as, as compared to like Ray Gaddis is that the things that Ben was already able to do, he does a little bit better, you know, like he's even stronger at the rim now than he, than he was. Um, he's passing the ball even better than he was, but the things that he was unable to do coming into the league, he still can't do, you know, he still can't shoot. And even though it's only been three seasons and it hasn't been eight seasons like Ray Gaddis, Ray was always a good defender, you know, and he's gotten better as a defender. But similarly, like Ben Simmons not being able to shoot, Ray Gaddis is not able to serve a ball into the box or do anything threatening in the final third, and he still can't do that. So the, the existing skills that he had, he, kind of, he he improved on those for sure, but the stuff that was not in his toolbox never entered the toolbox in the first place, you know? And to me, it's just like, I don't, I don't know how you can sit there and say year after year after year that this is fine because you have to have, you know, just ambitions to say, look, we think Ray's a good player at this position. We like him here. He's versatile. He can do a couple things. But you know, I think we could. I think we can make this position better. Like it takes it takes it's, guts. It takes you know. We like to use these stupid words like, "Well, it takes courage to do that." You know, like, <laughs> conviction. Yeah, it takes convi- it take, took a lot of courage for them to play with a high line. By the way, just as a, a tangent here, I hate when people use fucking words like that to talk about soccer or to talk about sports or something like that. Like having courage is like if you're on the like. Baghdadi ISIS raid and you're like risking your life flying in on a helicopter. Okay. That's courageous, right? Uh, you know, playing tough defense in Atlanta is not courageous. So like, it makes me cringe when I hear, um, coaches say things like that, but I don't want to be, I don't well, want to be too. Well, well, listen, Kevin, he's got a lot of courage as he's out there. He's not like a cowardly dog. That's a little cartoon reference for you. I'm getting a little. I just wanted to say, I, I, just, I just wanted to say really quick. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Come for the uh, season post mortem. Yeah. Stay, stay for the audacity of comparing Ben Simmons to Ray Gaddis. Oh, no, I, I feel like I'm getting Negadelphia here, and I don't want to be Negadelphia because it was a fantastic season. It really was. But now, but it now was. it's like now you get people. You see it popping up. You hear people saying, "Well, is this a flash in the pan? You know, is this a one and done kind of thing? You know, they're kind of nervous about Jay Sugarman if he's going to keep putting more into it and." Um, there's harder look when you have a good season like this there's harder questions to to ask going into next year you know it's not like you were seventh place and it's like okay we can get rid of this guy this guy this guy this guy and this guy you know those those 
the questions and answers are not as clear as they used to be. You know what I mean? So you got to like raise the, the, the bar is raised, you know, like you have standards yeah. now. <laughs> so, well, and I, I mean, look, when, when we talk about, and, and my brain kind of went off on a tangent here, but like, and we'll, we'll kind of keep off the record who we were speaking with. But like, you think about if a couple of things go differently to kind of come back to an earlier point, but like if, if a few results go differently and this team ends up finding its way to, to hosting at least the Eastern conference final or, or even MLS cup, you know, there are people in this town who are legitimate decision makers for the way that sports are covered and talked about. And, you know, we, we had a chat with a couple of people who kind of can control such things who asked our thoughts on the union and, and the union kind of becoming a mainstream team. I mean, think about if you're Jay Sugarman and you decided not to pony up for a charter flight, Mm -hmm. things went the way they went versus if you had this team ends up kind of capturing the hearts and minds of some of the casual four for four fans or people who otherwise wouldn't care about soccer. And now all of a sudden you can say, Hey, this team had never won a playoff game. Now they're hosting the MLS cup final Mm -hmm. and think about what that could have done for not only the team, but for the sport in the city. Like, Again, like one of one small decision can have lasting decades worth of ramifications. I know one 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 small step for the union, one giant leap for soccer in Philadelphia. Uh, let me do two more okay. Negadelphia things, and then we'll have some fun, and we'll do some yes. positive stuff. One more, okay. one more in my stay or go is that Tommy Smith has to go. Well, Kevin, you can go kick a bag of stones. And look, I've said it a hundred times before. It's nothing personal. It's it's never anything personal. It really is not. Um, but Tommy, Tommy adds nothing to the broadcast. Tommy adds nothing to the broadcast. He doesn't say anything interesting um, tactically. Like I don't learn. I don't. I don't learn anything when I'm listening to his commentary. Um, I can tell that he doesn't do preparation that he doesn't watch the other teams that he doesn't watch film. Um, you know, and a lot of his stuff is just very rudimentary kind of like, well, that's not a yellow card or this is a yellow card or he had him by the shirt or whatever. Like I can see that, you know, I don't need you to tell me that. So again, it's, it's nothing personal, but, um, they can, the broadcast can be better. I'll just, I'll just say that. Um, also I think that they should sell a homegrown player this off season. I think they should sell a homegrown player, either trusty or McKenzie, because if Jack Elliott's your guy, um, and you got others coming through the pipeline, then sell McKenzie or sell Trusty. You know, I got no problem with them selling either one of those guys or selling Fontana. Sell Brandon Aronson. I don't care. You know, just sell a homegrown. You got you got to make one of those sales. I mean, that's that's important for the academy too. You know, which one was it, Curtin or Tanner? One of them today said that they didn't think they're in the position right now to sell their yeah, players. Yeah, and I, you know, they have MLS restrictions on it still. You know, taking a percentage of the sales is kind of a pain in the ass thing. That's that kind of like limits that and it hurts the academies too. But um. I would still try to do it anyway. Okay, one more Negadelphia thing yeah. here. Um, just because I was curious, uh, that Dulsta guy, the EMLS FIFA player, uh, joined Nashville, signed with Nashville, was traded to Nashville, or something like that. Um, but he, st- he goes to Temple. He's still going to live here. I don't know, something like that. So I did a poll. Um, serious question. Does anybody really give a shit about the EMLS guy? Uh, 15% of the people said yes. 71% of the people said no. And 14% of the people said, I just pretend to care. Uh, Russ, do you care about the EMLS guy, Dulsta? Yeah, this is is a big deal. 
No, it's not. That it it really is. Dulsta has done things at 19 years old that almost no one else has. Okay. Yeah, I bet. And the the fact that you're putting this poor youngster down is is pretty upsetting. You know, people get really excited when teenage Brendan Aronson runs around and uh, can't complete a pass in the final third or can't you know find a way to finish. But no, but no, no, you know. Uh, 19-year-old Dulsta, who uh, goes by the name Cormac Dooley, this guy has won uh, a FIFA eSports trophy, competed at the highest level of FIFA eSports across the globe, and has played FIFA games against celebrities like Meek Mill. I got that all from the NashvilleSC.com press release. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Listen, so I mean, um, maybe he's good. I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe this is going to... I I don't know. Now, I can't even fake it. Thing, like, Buzzkill Ed... Um, was telling me that um, Dulsta buys a ton of these uh, packs, uh, foot packs, FIFA Ultimate Team. Um, yeah. So, and I don't, I haven't played FIFA since like 2007 when I used to pick like uh, Fenerbahce and I used to beat up on like Barcelona kids and Manchester United kids and stuff like that. Uh, but apparently, <clears throat> like these things are like you, you buy, I don't know. Um, you have to make these purchases and then you get these like player cards or something like that. And you can upgrade them and trade them. And eventually like you spend yep. more money and you can, and that's how you get like Messi and Ronaldo and, and shit like that. So yep. he plays with the mode that he plays in. he plays with like 10 superstar dudes. And then he only has like Ray Gaddis as his one union. Play. I think as, Gaddis yeah. is his union player <laughs> sure. because of his speed rating or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, I guess the kid's got a no, nice... No, because he's a good stay-at-home yeah. defenseman. Come yeah. on now. Well, I guess the kid's got a decent story. Like, he, I, didn't he win a tournament? I guess he won a tournament to, like, represent the union or something like that. Like, it wasn't like they yeah. just pulled this ringer off the street. So if you wanted to do the, well, he's one of us, blah, blah, blah things, you could do that. So I won't begrudge the kid for that. Like, I'm, I, of course, I will appreciate any talent that anybody has, whether it's playing Overwatch or playing FIFA or something like that. But... Uh, I was just curious as to whether like people really did like care about this or if it was just kind of like a charade, like something that they put on. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So we got um, a couple more things here. We did want to talk about dead spin. Uh, we did want to do questions and comments. Why don't we do some words that end in the letter A? You want to do that? I would love to. Good. Because Dave was on the last time. I was just really disappointed. Oh, he, he, he really struggled. I was really disappointed. He didn't, I, I kind of felt he bad. He didn't want to play the game. Um, his buy-in wasn't all the way there. We're just trying to have fun. I hope everybody knows that. We're just trying to lighten the mood here. You know, um, Participation in this game is always optional, but I think we have some good laughs. Some people like it, and th- the people who don't like it can kiss my ass. So how about that? They can go find another <laughs> union podcast. <laughs> but those don't exist because this is the no, only no, Philadelphia. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. Yeah, just we love kidding. all the other no, union kidding. podcasts. Out there. I would yes. love to do a union. Maybe in the uh, the winter, we'll do a big like, <gasps> round table. We'll get like Orlandini. There you go. Cervedio. We'll get Chris from uh, All Three Points. We'll get the, uh, uh, the maybe we'll get the Doopy brothers in here. We'll get every, we'll get everybody. Uh, we'll get Sean and Joe uh, in here. Maybe we'll do like a huge, massive round table thing. Um, okay, words. should get Sean to air it over on The Gambler. We should. There you we go. We should do it live. We'll do it. Some nice. We'll like, do it live. Do it yeah. live. I'll write it. And you, uh, what did O'Reilly say? I'll write it and you play the music. Okay. Um, she's a baseball analyst for ESPN. Uh, that is, is it Jessica Mendoza? Yes, it's Jessica Mendoza, who I think today said that the, the Nationals could not have won the World Series with Bryce Harper. 
Um, that's oh, a yeah. take that yeah. I have to It's all his fault. Down. He sucks, yeah. All right, yeah. here's your second clue. Uh, this was a traveling festival, music festival that appeared back in the day, and then they recently brought it back. Mm, um, um, I, was, I don't know. My head went to Bonanza. <laughs> I know that's wrong. Bonanza. I don't know why. <laughs> were you trying to, were you thinking of Bonnaroo? Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. No, that might no this is yeah. like, it started in the nineties and like Soundgarden was on it and like Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, it starts. I was born in 90. Uh, can I, can I have a hint? Can I have the first it letter? With an L. Lollapalooza? Yes. That is correct. Ding, right. ding, ding. Not not Lollapa winner. Lollapa loser. loser is yeah. correct. Uh, okay, here's your third clue. Uh, Almost sounds like lovable loser. This guy played. Anyway. This guy played one season for the Philadelphia Union, and he was a right fullback. Uh, he was the slowest guy on the team. I'll give you a clue. In 2011, he came in last place on the beep, the fitness test, the beep test. Oh boy. I'm blanking. That was Christian Arietter was That's the uh, the player. Yep. Okay, I got two more for you. Um, this is a drink that people like. It's kind of like a new age, like hippie kind of drink. It's fermented and it's like a tea. Oh, kombucha. Yes, kombucha is correct. Didn't we do kombucha before? No. I felt like no, we did. I don't think so. Have you been? Do you have like a spreadsheet of all the words that you've used? No, but I could probably flip my notes back okay. here and see if I did. I don't think I okay. did. Um, okay. okay, and here's a final clue. This is a snake. And uh, it's a snake. A, a cobra. A cobra would would work, but I got to give you another clue. Actually, no. Anaconda. <laughs> that could work too. Um, Kobe Bryant was one of these. A mamber. Yeah, a black mamber. Uh, not to be confused all with right, Mambo Kevin. Number Five by Lou Bega. Uh, that's what the name. It's time for a bonus word that ends in a. Oh, okay. What are you, you ready? This former center back for the Philadelphia Union could have very well been another one of the missing or the lost brothers of the Property Brothers. <laughs> that would be Stephen Vittorier. That is He's correct. For ding, Can- ding, ding, He's ding, playing ding. for Canada. Canada. <laughs> a Canada. Um, okay, so <laughs> uh, it looks like he's currently is he is he still playing right now? He yeah, uh, he's playing for Canada. He played in both yeah. the he he played against yeah, the but United like States. he played he's played he played in the past for clubs in Portugal in both the mm-hmm. Primera Liga yeah. and the Segunda yeah, Liga. Uh, did he play for Sporting Braga? I want to say he did. He also had a one-year spell at Benfica. It's <laughs> pretty good. Um, so that was words that end in letter A. Um, you wanted to talk about the Deadspin thing, since we don't do media really. So Crossing Broadcast is on six ten ESPN right now, so we've kind of gotten away from like the the media yeah. talk a little bit on that. We're just doing sports. We're sticking to sports kind of on uh, Crossing Broad now. But yeah, the Deadspin thing is interesting because uh, basically what happened was a bunch of venture capitalists, you know, like douchebag vultures came in and. I uh, wanted to change the site and uh, issued this mandate for them to only talk about sports, but said that they were allowed to talk about, you know, politics and stuff like that where it, you know, where it intersects with sports. So like they were, I guess they were fine with them talking about like, uh, you know, if, if Bedoya, like for example, talking about gun violence, like that could have been a dead spin story, but they didn't want dead spin to say um, uh, Donald Trump supporters were chanting lock her up 
or or send send mm-hmm. her back at a rally, right? Because that doesn't have anything to do with sports. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Deadspin revolted. Um, one of the guys got fired. The rest of them quit. I guess in solidarity, like most of them quit in solidarity. Uh, Dan McQuaid from Philly, um, great writer, good dude. Um, he also quit. And uh, we've been arguing a lot about this in Slack chat, Crossing Broad Slack chat, because I'm, I'm more of, I mean, you you and I, I think, are more of on the side of like, um, you know, look, it's, it's we, we know what the journalism business is. It's more, it's more business than journalism. Okay. You know, I, th- I think everybody gets into the industry uh, f- kind of somewhat naive and they think we're going to, oh, we're going to do great journalism. We're going to change the world. You know, we're going to get them to put up uh, barricades where this dangerous, you know, off ramp is and stuff like that. We're going to change the world. Right. And then you realize that it's about ratings and it's about making money and it's about pleasing your asshole bosses and the general sales manager and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but yeah. you know, the, the great thing about the United States and one of the good things about capitalism and the market that we work in, um, is that if you don't like what's going on, you can just fuck right off and go create a bigger and better product than, than what your boss is willing to give you, you know? So I think the annoying thing was that we kind of, I, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think like the majority of the crossing broad guys were kind of like, look, it, it's getting a little whiny with the deadspin folks. They should just peace out, start their own thing, find some people who really want to invest in journalism talk to some of the sports illustrated people who are laid off. Maybe there's a lot of talented people out there, start your own thing, be successful with it. And, you know, raise the middle finger towards the venture capitalists and do it that way, you know, but I just, I think my take is that it was just getting, it was just getting a little whiny for my taste. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I don't think that people understand how hard it's not that it's necessarily hard to break into the idea of writing about sports, but like conceptually the idea that, you should be able to write about whatever you want to write about and stick it to your boss if they don't want you to write about said thing seems just kind of whiny and entitled to me. Like, I got into it with Kyle, I guess it was the beginning of the union season because I went down and and I I was like, all right, you were kind of over the the whole going down and covering the union thing. Oh, right, right, right. So I was like, I'm going to go to the home opener because... I don't know. I kind of thought that, you know, with the way that the site was going, we like to have, you know, some kind of social stuff that goes up on like Instagram live and, and on like Twitter and everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'll go down, I'll cover it. And like, who knows, maybe this will be a good year for the union. And th- remember they got, they got oh, the uh, Toronto uh, game. Yeah, the Toronto game was rough. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was rough to start yeah, the season yeah. a little bit more yeah. of the same. And then who knew that they would go on to have this great year anyway. So he and I kind of got into this back and forth. And I was like, well, you know, I, I think that if, if we want to continue to like, you know, make it, not make it look like, cause we're mm-hmm. actually there, but like leverage the, the inside access that we have with these teams, then like, it doesn't hurt to go down and cover yeah, a union yeah. game from time yeah. to time. And he and I got into this back and forth. And then at one point I was like, you know what? I don't really have much of a leg to stand on here because ultimately he's, the, he's the guy who makes the call mm-hmm. and he's the one who, who who pays yeah, and if me. we didn't we- and if he says and if he says there's there's not a lot of value there then there's not a lot of value and i think one of the points that he said at, at one point was kevin was the best guy on the beat and i don't like kevin right about the union all that much <laughs> and i was like all right well like yeah no look to be then again the machine the machine doesn't listen to anyone the machine <laughs> just cranks out 25 blog posts a day while bouncing a, a small child on his leg <laughs> and look for like and walking the dog all and over to be, yeah and to be like 100 percent clear here like um he did say that at the time but kyle has never 
like really said to me like I don't want you doing x amount of soccer posts or I I don't want I want you doing x amount of this instead like there's never ever been kind of like a like you know any kind of restriction it's just kind of like understood between all of us that like soccer is not really our primary thing you know so I'll write an article like every like four or five weeks or something like that they'll do okay you know because like the people listen to this podcast or the people that follow us on twitter will will read the story thank you for doing that um but yeah it's kind of understood that like we know why we're there and uh we have a boss that we signed up to work for and uh if you don't like it you don't have to work for that boss i feel bad for the deadspin people because i understand and this is the other argument it's like look they have a lot of pride and deadspin in the site that they created and they hate to see what's happened to it like you know you know vulture capitalists coming in and changing it but you know look they're not the first people to have uh you know an asshole boss come in and change things on them you know what i mean so i understand that you want to fight um for your product and you want to fight for what you think is right and, and stand up for the work that you've done in the past. But, um, you know, going to Twitter and kind of like whining about it publicly felt a little like immature to me, I guess in a way. And look, if you still think that you're going to do a great job at stuff, if it ever got to a point where Kyle came to me and said like, look, I, you know, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. And I I said, well, I do want to do that. I would just say politely like, look, man, I've enjoyed it. I'm going to go do another thing where I can focus on this, no hard feelings or anything like that. And, uh, you know, if I think that my work is good or you think that your work is good or Anthony thinks that his work is good, you take it to somebody else. You know, the Deadspin people should not feel bad about their, it's not like their, their work has changed it all. If they still believe in what they do, go do it for somebody else, you know? Yep. So I, I, I mean, I don't think it's all that complicated. I think I just it's think, cap, I, capitalism I just think it's like, is what it is, man, you know? I just think it's part of the Twitter culture now where it's like, all right, the trendy thing right now is to like leave Deadspin to put out a tweet and like, I guess the hope is that you're going to pick up a bunch of followers and then like maybe start like a Patreon and, and you're going to do your own writing on the side. Like maybe that works. But like, I just think it's I think it's fundamentally something that's kind of flawed with the way that uh, the the Twitterverse has kind of changed so much about what writing in any kind of form is, because like you think about it, without going I guess like too too deep into the weeds on this, but it's like the guy that I I would think about in, in this case, I guess is like Bodner, right? Because Bodner was doing his thing for, was he with Delco times? Um, I, think? I thought Derek was, no, no, no. Derek was, was a Philly, Curry, was no, he was Curry, a Philly mag. He, Remember? Then they shut that Philly. Was, it. was yeah. that it? And then they shut right, Philly and mag he down. Went Patriot, Patriot and then, and then, yep. And then, and like that started getting crowdsourced. And then that started like, that was kind of like fuel on yeah. the fire. And then, you know, he parlayed that into, you know, really, I think kind of, being the guy who, if I remember correctly, did a lot of the initial hiring and and finding of people to like build out the athletic, and like in his case, he had like a solid background of doing mm-hmm. sports writing. Mm-hmm. Some of these people, I think, and it's not just the deadspin people who are like bailing or, or walking away on principle or whatever, but like some of these people, they they don't really have any kind of credibility. credibility I, I think isn't isn't totally what I'm looking for as the word, but like they don't have that track record of showing that that they've either put in the time or that they've they've had this uh, immense amount of of work and um i don't know what the word I'm i know what you're saying is. though behind yeah. like they don't have that kind of weight behind they don't have clout they don't have the clout to go in and do that and to then parlay that into something bigger like if you're gonna leave your job you should have something else lined up you don't just leave because you're unhappy with like what your job is in that moment and then just hope to like land on your feet or hope that you're able to like siphon off enough people to like try to keep you 
yeah. survive. I mean, I get right. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's kind. Of, I think that's part of the problem. Like if if I the difference between like you and I, or like if Anthony did did something, and and you know one of you guys was like, oh yeah, you know I'm, I I want to go write about whatever it is, and and you pieced out. Like you guys have enough behind you. If I decided that I I wanted to write about uh, the Philadelphia Wings, right? I wanted to cover just the Wings and the fusion, right? Mm-hmm. It would be a much harder time for me to do that. Yeah. I couldn't just leave the 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 gig that I have to go pursue that and hope that like twenty five people are gonna are gonna pay like a few dollars a, a week or a month for a newsletter. You know what I yeah. mean? And I I just I don't know if it's well I know, I, I just don't like where I this know. is going. I I think that these people I think a lot of these people are making a mistake because they feel like it's the thing to do. And not because it's the best thing. Well, to I do. mean, and look, you obviously you're taking a risk if you're gonna, you know, you take a stand for yourself. You say what you say publicly. I mean, it does, you know, it takes some guts to do some of that, but you know, you don't want to hurt yourself either, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, do I like the situation where these like these guys come in and and buy these companies like Deadspin and Sports Illustrated and stuff like that who don't really have any interest in journalism but more interest in business? No, I don't like it either, but. I mean, whether you like it or not, that's just sort of how American capitalism has always worked. And the out that you have is to fucking go do something else, make it bigger and better than what you're currently doing. And then you can say to your boss, you know what? I never needed you in the first place. So maybe some of them will do that or maybe, yep. maybe, maybe not, but we shall, uh, we shall I hope they all land on their feet. I just, I just think that, you know, kind of throwing, throwing your career out there in the hopes of something better like it's gutsy and maybe it'll work off or it'll work out and right, maybe it won't scroll down here and i find some uh, questions and comments and concerns from a couple of days ago I, th- I think they'll still all um hold here even though we didn't get around to them um dj edwards says chances anybody gets sold uh, wagner aronson mckenzie trusty cashper um yeah i don't know wagner is wagner is the guy that i think could net them a, a pretty solid return. Do you worry return. about the guys who had good seasons? But, going, yeah. Do you worry about like Wagner going back to Germany or any anything like that? Yeah. yeah. I think I think anybody I mean, should. He's under, he's under contract um, because but it's like if yeah if you if you if you could get something for him, he you? could he could certainly push he could push the issue. I I think Wagner could get you a, a pretty solid haul. It's just such um, a hard. But the question again is if if you if you were to send him away, you don't really have a replacement in the wings. it took him so long to find a good left left back anyway. You know, it's like... And that's just a good one. Like, he was arguably the best left back in MLS this season. If not the best, then, like, top three. Um, Mike Cardamone says, what are the main areas for improvement for next season, and do you have any names you'd like to see fill these roles? Uh, You know, right fullback. Obviously, they're going to need another shuttler. You know, another number 10, unless they just want to do Aronson and Fontana by committee next year. Do you think that that might be a situation where they say, you know, look, we've, you know, we had Barnetta here and then we had Dogecoin and then we had Fabian and we're just fucking getting exhausted. Like, do you think they just hand the keys and, you know, let Aronson be the guy next year and let Fontana get some minutes? I am not a fan of that plan. Um, could they do it? Yeah, I guess they could. Um, if, if you were going to turn the keys over to one of or, or both of those young guys, then you need to get a, a legitimate stud up top yeah. because I, as, as great as Casper was this season. And I, I think I pretty much consistently said that uh, I think what he did for this team this year is something that I, I don't think anybody else on the roster could have done. I would worry about um, a foot injury, you know, regardless of its severity, mm-hmm. a foot injury can be a thing that's long lasting. Mm-hmm. I, 
I, I would be worried that there could be a drop off and all of a sudden next year, you know, if you've built the team around, you know, going out and acquiring another stud midfielder or somebody to fill that 10 role and not allocating enough resources financially to, you know, bringing in somebody who's like a knockout striker, you know, I, I think that could come back to haunt you. I, I'd still rather see them get somebody who can be a killer or somebody who can be a bomber from outside of the box in the way that, you know, in a best case scenario, Fabian would have been. Yeah. I, but th- like, that's the only way that I, that I turn it over to Aronson because I'm still not sold on, on him or Fontana being, you know, the guy to step into that 10 role. If you're going to, going to go out, how about Ronaldinho? Make uh, Union Hulk happy. Well, Union Hulk um, says, can the Philadelphia Union stop screwing the pooch and bring in Ozil or Balotelli? Uh, and then everything will be good and moist. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I they um, say after the whole stupid Balotelli fiasco last year, <laughs> where I did not say that they were going to sign him, but two other people reported that they were, so I don't know where that came from. Um, la, 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 la. Way Offsides podcast says, uh, just saying thanks for continuing to make a great podcast. Uh, oh, thanks. Thank you. Uh, we look forward to next season. Maybe we'll have our shit together enough to have you on the show. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, Barry Evans, Blue Tuner, um, says, how much turnover do you expect? Um, would it be a problem to think we might have our fourth number 10 in four years, you know, assuming Fabian leaves? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we... we it, it, it is what it is, man, because those those guys are just hard to pin down and hard to find, hard to keep. You know, it's always that sweet spot, right? Because if the guy's not good enough, you're not going to have him back. And if he's good, then somebody else is going to want him. You know, if you get these guys on loans, then they're going to go back eventually. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you know Jamiro's team or even Jamiro himself for wanting to go back. If he's only 25 years old and he thinks he still has it, then uh, then go for it. You know, like I don't, I don't feel bad. Yep. Doge call too, man. I get it. You know. Um. Yeah, just a lot of questions about stay or go kind of stuff that that came in before uh, we did uh, before we got the email today. Um, Blake had a uh, Doctor Strange. Did Blake had a rough year? Yeah, he did. Um, is it is it too? Here's my question to you: Are, are we beyond the point of moving Andre Blake at this point? Yeah, I mean yep. you're not selling him for anything. That right? that is a, that is an asset that was of max value years ago. a season a season and a half two yeah. seasons ago, and they were afraid to move on from him. And it's probably going to be the thing that, when you look back on it in terms of guys that had the the max potential value in a transfer, it, it was always going to be Andre Blake, and now he's just a pretty expensive uh, goalkeeper that you probably could get similar value to um, or slightly below that value. And you could have had all that money to Chap, play with. Uh, says, what's the best beer for the winner to hold us over until next season starts up again? Um, good question. This is my favorite time of the year for beer, like late, uh, like, like fall into the beginning of winter. Cause I, I'm more of like a heavy, you know, I'm like more of a heavy, like beer drinker, I guess. Like I like, uh, Stouts and Porters, Oktoberfest, stuff like that. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, Free Will, everything that Free Will makes up there in uh, Percocy, uh, which is near where Kyle Branson lives. Shout out, Kyle. Um, the COB is a go-to there. They have a really good uh, like cinnamon something fucking other spice kind of beer. They, they make really good heavy stuff out there. Go If you're ever up in that area for whatever reason, um, stop at Free Will. They make a lot of good winter beer. Uh, be a man make some boilo (laughs) 
Are you a are you you're not a winner beer guy? No. I mean, if you're going to do anything, you, you use Guinness, you drink the Guinness, you make beef stew mm-hmm. with the Guinness. Uh, you don't use the weak American Guinness either, uh, the Americanized mm-hmm. version. You you go and, you know, pay a little extra for the foreign extra. Yeah. Right? Um, but but make Boilo or make a mold cider and mix in some Everclear and just have fun. Enjoy the winter. Day where you like... Let the grain alcohol consume drink, you. Yeah, I don't drink as much as I used to. I, I never really drank a ton. I just like like to go to breweries and stuff. But I don't. I don't really keep a ton of beer in the house. But there's always a day where I'll just kind of like walk over to like the Port Richmond IGA. There's like a huge bottle shop over there, and uh, I'll just grab mm-hmm. like four or five like wintery kind of beers, and they all end up being like six, seven, eight, nine percent, and like three beers in, I'm just sort of sitting here in the studio like listening to like music or something. Like, Holy shit! Like, where am I? But. uh there's always fun. I don't know. I just like winter winter beer more than summer beer for some reason. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I'm the inverse of no, that. I, a night, no, I there is nothing quite like nothing quite like a uh, a really cold like an ice cold beer on a sweltering summer day. I have a joke for you. I okay. just came up for the with this one. Um, did you hear about the tasty IPA? Yeah, me no. neither. Oh. Here, I have a. Here's a joke for you. You ready? Did you hear about the explosion at the uh, French cheese factory? Uh, no. There was debris everywhere. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. It's that point where it's time to wrap up the podcast, and uh, let's wrap there it up with have. the state. Let's deliver um, the state of the podcast in uh, 2019. Honestly, we we had a great year. We had a fantastic year because the team was good, right? Um, we hit we hit mm-hmm. a bunch of like like really cool milestones this year. Um, this listenership was up about forty percent, I'd say. I didn't do the math, but just like looking at kind of like how the numbers went up and down based on what we did last year, like listenership was up about forty percent. Um, we set a record for the most listens uh, to a single podcast. Actually, that was one that you were on, Russ. That was the um, uh shit was it the the monday show that we did after like the women's world cup final and the union played and like there's a united states game do you remember that one where there was like three big things to talk about yeah i think that so, one, yeah. i think was you know i got dethroned though i was up there for a really long time that wasn't the number but one the, uh, episode? episode 92 that was the one with uh tanawald and kate Fail- oh, Katie is Stein, it failinger that, was that number one yeah that ended up yeah that one did. Um, I I think I had, if I remember correctly, I believe that of the top six episodes, I think I was on three of them. But yes, the the Tanawald and uh, Fillinger one that that ended up uh, going next level. Although I would I would expect that this episode today that we are recording <laughs> yeah. is going to uh, it's going to set all time records, Mister Kincaid. <laughs> well, thanks, Bernie. Um, appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we we also did. Uh, you know, we did our first live podcast at the Larimer, which was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, again, sorry that the audio didn't work out for that, but you know, in a weird way, it's kind of like special to the people who were able to make it down because they can say they were there for it and they heard it and you know, nobody else will really hear it. So maybe it's kind of a unique thing or whatever, but next time we do it, I think yeah. I'm just going to have somebody else engineer it or whatever. Cause I was hosting it, brought all my own equipment from my music studio, um, engineered the whole damn thing and recorded it myself and we just had like microphone recording problems everything sounded fine otherwise so if we do another live one i'll just have somebody else handle it next time um 
with the other uh, mark that we hit this year is we reached a hundred thousand uh, plays. So we've had a hundred thousand listeners, and not unique listeners, but we've had people listen to podcasts one hundred thousand times, which is cool. That's a nice round number. That's awesome. Six figures, yeah. Congratulations, yeah, hundred thousand uh, listens for a, a podcast that Dave and I just like kind of threw together um, in twenty sixteen. You know, it was really cool. But you know, and obviously, I tried to be more active because the team was 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 better you know it just warranted it you know there were times there were gaps that we had in the past where we just like the team was kind of shitty and we weren't really doing a podcast because there's nothing to talk about there's no juice but um i tried to do more this year you did a bunch of them with me thank you brother and um you know the listenership was up a lot and it was great i think what i'm gonna do is probably just take a little bit of a break here because um because you and i are doing um crossing broadcast now on 610 every monday um and working on something with 97.5 and beasley in that regard and um that's going to double that live show is going to double as a podcast that goes up every week for crossing broadcast. And we're doing a lot of Eagles and a lot of Sixers and, and whatnot. So I might take a short break from always soccer. I'd kind of like to take a step back I mean, maybe put like a survey or like a questionnaire or something out there of like, um, you know, what do you think about this part of the show or that part of the show? Or what should we do with it going forward? Because, um, you know, obviously it's like, it's, it's, you know, I love doing the show and I love still being able to do union stuff and this, this being my connection to the team. But, uh, I just got like, I got a lot going on right now. So I think it's going to be hard to, to be active with it over the winter. But, um, you know, if they make a big splash or big signing or something like that, maybe. And, uh, yeah, I'll just take pick some people's brains and see if they got any ideas or anything like that. But I just wanted to issue a, a personal thanks to everybody who, who listened this year, um, who tuned into the podcast, who came out to the live podcast to you, Russ, for jumping on seven or eight times or whatever you did, um, to all the guests that came on the program. I think we had a really, really good year and it was fun. And, um, cool to hit a lot of those milestones you know that's really so awesome. we'll see what happens with that i'll um i'll share some of that on twitter and then maybe we'll put up like a survey or questionnaire or something like that and in the meantime we'll just uh keep an eye on what the union are doing and we'll continue the discussion on twitter but thanks again everybody um for listening this season it was a great philadelphia union season we're going to end on a positive note don't worry about all the negative things i said during the podcast i'm just kind of tired and cranky tonight um but it was overwhelmingly positive this year they had a fantastic season and uh, we'll see what Jay Sugarman does. We'll see if he builds on it for next year. But uh, until then, episode 90, whatever this was, we'll see if 90 hey. what? Hey. Yeah. Hey. Hey. What? I have a bonus. I have a bonus. Oh, okay. bonus for you. Bonus bonus word that ends <laughs> okay. in the letter A. We'll, we'll end it on. This, this is the number one Philadelphia <laughs> Union podcast. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia philadelphia that's correct i appreciate well that done. and uh shout out to all the other people who did all the podcasts this year everybody who um who had us on various shows and whatnot and all the twitter interaction we love all you guys we appreciate all you guys um we'll see what happens and we'll uh, we'll see you next time all right peace